Hi, welcome to Bookie. To unlock more world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get 7 days free trail with more features. Today we will unlock the book Sweetness and Power, The Place of Sugar in Modern History. When talking about sugar, what comes to mind? Most of the snacks we consume today contain sugar. Since childhood, we've become so used to sugar that it's almost as if our lives are inseparable from sugar and its sweet taste. Nowadays, sugar is so common that we often take it for granted. However, before the 20th century, sugar was not only a luxury sought by nobles, but also an important factor in advancing the course of history. After the discovery of the New World, sugar was nearly as valuable as gold and silver in the emerging world trade system. The emergence of sugar even led to the birth of new trade chains. Sugar not only became an international commodity popular among the upper class in Europe, but also facilitated capitalism and economic development in Europe. How did sugar make such a huge impact in history? Why did it gain such a high status? You will find the answers to these questions in this book Sweetness and Power. Sidney W. Mintz is the author of this book. He has a double major in psychology and anthropology. He taught anthropology for 24 years at Yale University before joining the anthropology department at Johns Hopkins University, where he remained until he retired. Mintz had his way of researching anthropology. He preferred to use a documentary method, that allowed him to obtain inspiration from villagers in the fields, and research the development of human civilizations from a unique perspective. Perhaps because of the influence of his chef father, Mintz was also very interested in food culture. From the book Sweetness and Power, Mintz started a new trend in food culture by combining two fields, food and anthropology research. This also allowed Mintz to be known as the acclaimed father of food anthropology. In this bookie, we will unlock the key insights of the book in three sections. Firstly, human beings are born with a deep love for sugar. Secondly, the impact of sugar on historical developments. Thirdly, the impact of sugar on people's lives. In the book, Mintz summed up a fixed rule, humans are born with an obsession and deep love for sweetness. According to research done by some American scholars, nearly all mammals produce milk with a sweet taste, including humans. Doctors feed newborn infants with glucose and water solutions to test the postpartum functioning of the infants. These solutions also determine whether the infant's small intestine can perform normal peristalsis. Both children and adults like sugary foods. For example, our beloved drank Coke. One person calculated, if we lined up all of the small glass Coca-Cola bottles sold, the total length of these bottles would equal 2,000 return trips between the moon and earth. Even if we take a return trip each day, it would take five years to complete. This calculation indicates the amount of love that people have towards these types of drinks. Nearly all drinks, aside from Coke, contain sugar and the flavor of sweetness. Although these days many people promote healthy diets and sugar-free drinks, in reality, promoting and marketing sugar-free drinks is not easy. Therefore, the selling point of many drinks involves the question of sugar content. Even if these drinks are technically sugar-free, they will still contain a sweetener called aspartame as an additive to enhance sweetness. Take Coca-Cola as an example. 
It is now launching a Coke with zero calories. The calorie content and sweetness of this product are much lower than traditional Cokes. However, because they add aspartame, after tasting it, you will still find that the zero-calorie Coke has a sweetness to it. This is because drinks without any sweet flavor will be discarded by consumers sooner or later. Why are people born with a love for sweetness? In the book, the author illustrates his explanation by mentioning the lives of our ancestors, whose food sources simply came from hunting animals, and collecting berries during the process of evolution in early history. These berries contained a large amount of sugar, which could provide people with energy for daily activities. On the other hand, the sweetness of fruits helped to stimulate people's taste buds. Later, people acquired sweetness partly from fruits, and partly from honey. However, any sweet substance would be considered a rarity before the appearance of sucrose in history. People had been seeking sugar for a long time. They were not only obsessed with the flavor, but also considered sugar to be a miracle drug for all illnesses at specific points in history. Even today, people still have a deep affection for sugar. According to scientific research, sugar can facilitate the secretion of dopamine in the human brain. Many people call dopamine a human stimulant, as it instantly gives someone a feeling of intense happiness, and enhances determination. With the advancement of science, people discovered that a large amount of dopamine secretion could be used to effectively treat depression. When you are feeling anxious and troubled, a piece of candy may relieve some of your syndromes. Since sugar is so popular among us, let's take a look at how sugar initially emerged. As mentioned previously, sugar was initially a costly item because it was rare and difficult to obtain. In the earliest days, people relied on fruits and honey for sweetness. Eventually, they discovered a plant providing a large amount of sweetness, sugar cane. Sugar cane emerged a very long time ago. Since prehistoric times, humans had established plantations of sugar cane. Historically, people's descriptions of the sugar cane depicted forms of sugar. In 327 BC, a famous general Alexander the Great, tasted sugar cane during a trip from the mouth of the Indus River to the Euphrates. He claimed that the sweetness came from a reed in India that brings forth honey without the help of bees, from which an intoxicating drink is made though the plant bears no fruit. From his account, we can understand that drinks in the form of sugar cane juices were even made back then. Meanwhile, some scholars describe the early phase of sugar cane like this, there is a kind of concreted honey, called saccharin, found in reeds in India and Arabia Felix, like in consistence to salt, and brittle to be broken between the teeth, as salt is. It is good for the belly and the stomach being dissolved in water and so drank, helping the pain bladder in the rains. People during this time had discovered that they could convert sugar cane juice into crystalline particles. This discovery inspired future sugar cane extraction processing. Furthermore, from these two early descriptions of sugar cane, it seems like all sugar cane plantations were located near the Indus Delta and the Euphrates River. Although sugar cane emerged in very early times, it was not until the first century that people began to understand sugar, and learn how to manufacture sucrose. Generally, the two most basic forms of sugar are the following. The first form is solid crystals that resemble salt. The second form is a golden liquid, also called treacle, that closely resembles boiled honey. 
Wonderful. We have now covered our first section. People are born with a love for sweetness. Thus, we can say that manufacturing sucrose is a response to public demand. However, the production of sucrose was difficult due to limiting factors in the early times. From its birth, sucrose took nearly a thousand years to become widely known. So, what is the significance of the spread of sucrose to the course of human history? As previously mentioned, sugar cane plantations were mostly located near the Indus Delta, the Euphrates River, and the head of the Persian Gulf. It was the Arabs who first mastered the earliest art of sugar making. When Arabs started the war to conquer the European continent in the 7th and 8th centuries, they brought along both sugar cane plantations and sucrose manufacturing techniques to Europe. After the War of Expansion, the Arabs gained control of the Mediterranean basin, which became vast lands used for growing sugar cane and producing sucrose. This region provided Europe, the Middle East, and North African regions with a constant supply of manufactured sucrose. At this time, the Mediterranean had played the dominant role in sucrose production. Gradually, with sucrose production bases being set up in the Mediterranean, sucrose became popular in Europe. As demand for sucrose increased, sugar cane plantations had to expand, which gave rise to several problems. Growing sugar cane demanded very specific environmental conditions. Although sugar cane had a short growth cycle, it still needed 28 waterings or irrigation treatments from planting to cutting. Furthermore, the process of sucrose manufacturing also involved a series of complicated procedures. Both harvesting and grinding must be done quickly. Since the whole process required a massive amount of labor, an intensive use of the labor force became necessary. Where could they find this labor force? How could they make use of the labor force? This was an issue that needed an urgent solution. As a result, many slaves were used. According to some records, a slave revolt of tens of thousands broke out in the Euphrates Delta during the mid-9th century. These slaves might have been the ones working on sugar cane plantations. However, the use of slaves in sucrose production was not considered a sin during the period in history when the Mediterranean was under Arab control. The colonial industries that arose and new sea routes that led the way, were the real culprits that brought people to associate slavery with vice, blood, and violence. However, between the introduction of slavery and sucrose production and the emergence of the evil slave trade, there existed a period marking the development of industrialized agriculture. As mentioned above, the Arabs were the earliest group of people that mastered the art of sucrose production. They strictly controlled the process of sucrose refinement. These shrewd Arab merchants restricted the supply of sucrose, making sucrose as valuable as gold in Europe. Accordingly, during medieval times, nobles in Europe were suffering from a thirst for sweetness. It was not until Columbus' discovery of the New World that human history entered the Age of Exploration and the Golden Age of Sugar. European colonists created their sugarcane plantations in America. As always, plantations needed a lot of labor, and the cheap African labor force became the target of colonists. Colonists continuously sold Africans as slaves to sugarcane plantations in America. As the number of slaves increased, the amount of production on sugarcane plantations also increased. This sucrose was soaked with the blood of African slaves, 
just like the blood-colored rose that was blossoming in Europe. Sucrose amazed the Western colonists, and at the same time, its status as a consumer item became increasingly high. In the 17th century, its status exceeded even that of tobacco. These European countries saw great business opportunities in sucrose. To maximize profit, they expanded the scale of production, after which agricultural production in the colonies began to show signs of industrialization. Clear division of labor was an essential characteristic of sucrose industrialization. Early sucrose processing required the constant cooking of sugar syrup to extract sucrose. Additionally, the sugar syrup could not be left cold, lest all previous efforts be wasted. Hence, the labor force was divided into several groups to cook sugar syrup day and night. This model of production has been maintained even to this day. From farms to factories, distribution of the labor force, as well as the growth cycle-based production plan of sucrose extraction, was all infant forms of industrial agriculture. These labor forces were the early groups of proletarian laborers. The plantation owners and their investors behind the scenes were the early incarnations of capitalism. It was also during this period that the triangle of trade gradually took shape. This new trade chain connected Europe, Africa, and America in a triangular shape. Thus, it was named Triangle of Trade. Spain and Portugal were the first two nations operating on the Triangle of Trade. Soon afterwards, Britain and France took over the business by binding the three continents across the Atlantic. They departed from Europe and acquired batches of slaves in Africa. Later, these slaves would be shipped to plantations and other places in America in exchange for sugar, tobacco, and other items. The continuous cycle of the Triangle of Trade provided a consistent source of growth for the European economy. Britain, for instance, profited a great deal from the trade chain. Merchants bought African slaves at a low price, and sold them to plantation owners in American colonies at a high price. This method of trade offered opportunities to export British goods, thereby opening up more overseas markets for Britain. A vast majority of the British sugar merchants gradually became upper class, or so-called gentlemen. Some plantation owners became rich overnight because of sugar trading, and they were living even more luxuriously than the king himself. Gradually, these people started to exercise political influence. During this period, there used to be more than 40 members of the British Parliament who had close connections with these merchants. It could be said that the words and actions of these sugar merchants had significant influence over British politics at that time. This trade chain both accelerated Europe's economic development, and made America increasingly prosperous. In contrast, Africa, as a one-way exporter, descended into poverty. The remaining influence of such patterns in historical development exists to this day. Great! We have now finished discussing our second section. Our main points were the impact of the spread of sucrose, the long-standing relationship between slavery and sugar cane plantations, the formation of a new industry mode, subsequent developments which facilitated the creation of the triangle of trade. And finally, the slow emergence of the initial proletarian labor force and bourgeois class. After setting foot in Europe, what would sucrose mean to royal families, nobles and the poor? Let's find out. Today we are just sharing limited bookie. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, 
Please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get 7 days free trail with more features.